Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Paul says in his letter to the, cor- uh, to the church at Corinth that uh, some people see preaching as foolishness and they feel like they're beyond preaching. And he says it's foolishness to those who do not believe, but to those who believe, it's the word of uh, God. And we, if you've not been here the last week, just last week, we have started a new series, uh, Roaming Through Romans. Roaming Through Romans. And we are moving into our second week now. Um, just a very quick uh, review of last week. We look particularly at the fact that Paul starts off <clears throat> his letter to the church at Rome. He starts off by saying, I'm a bond servant of Christ. And we thought, what's the difference between a servant and a bond servant? And we looked and discovered that a bond servant is someone who, even if he or she were set free, they would remain exactly where they were serving. There's a love relationship lovely relationship even between the master and the servant between the servant and the master exit toby <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, there's that loving relationship so even if the master said please you can go you've now been set free the bond servant would say i'm not going anywhere because i'm in love with the master this is the place i'd want to be whether i was captive or whether i was free and Paul's saying to the church at Rome, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, we all are. And uh, we looked at one or two other things that uh, I just noticed in my Bible this morning, how he says uh, in verse 5, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Often some people say grace gives us the liberty to do anything. No, grace gives us the liberty to be obedient if you can understand that. It doesn't give us the liberty to do anything we please. It gives us the liberty to be obedient as, indeed, a bond servant. And then I notice one other thing. We're called to be saints. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Our calling is to be saints. Saint Jack. I think that's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> Saint Morag. <laughs> You've always thought that. <laughs> Well, you should do if you know your Bible. <laughs> and uh, St. <Saint> Tom, St. <laughs> Pete. Well, we know St. Thomas and we know St. Peter. Uh, St. Charlie, St. Alexandra, St. <laughs> Alexander, St. Sandy, uh, St. Etienne. You're all thinking, I don't think they're saints, but they are. <laughs> you know, and we're saints. St. Susan, called to be saints. It's our calling. And now we're going to move into, and as we go deeper into the book of Romans, we're going to begin to see what this letter is all about. And Romans is not an easy book to preach from. This letter that Paul wrote to this church, whether it's one individual churches or whether it was five churches, five families are mentioned in the book of Romans, whether it's one church, five churches, however many churches, he wrote this letter and it is a wonderful, beautiful letter full of theology, full of different nuances, the subtleties, 
the implications are there. And they would be reading this letter, analyzing it a little bit in the way we are. You know when you get a love letter? Remember those days, you know, when you got a love letter? And uh, you, you I've got, somewhere in our house, I've got some love letters from Susan. Would you like to hear them something? No. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Susan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, I used to read them and reread them and, and then read them again. And then just looking for any subtleties that are there. Any little things that she uh, maybe had not picked up the first time. And I can imagine the church at Rome saying, we've got a letter from Paul. And, and I imagine them standing up and saying, what does the letter say? This is what it says. Paul, a bonds, and beginning to read it out and begin to sort of uh, study and see what's he saying there. What's he? And that's what we're doing. And I can imagine them doing it, rereading it and rereading it and rereading. And... Uh, because it was precious. It was sent by an apostle. It's sent by an apostle who, in a sense, had a, a wonderful testimony, a star testimony. You don't get much better testimonies than what uh, Paul had. You, you really don't. Some people claim to, but they really don't. And uh, they had this guy, and they respected him as a spiritual father, and so they were longing for his input. What's he going to say? How, what new truths has he discovered? And as we begin to work through Romans, we'll begin to discover wonderful, beautiful, exciting truths that maybe we've never seen before. But as we uh, roam through Romans, there's one verse I want to pick up on straight away, and that's where we left off last week. And uh, that's verse 16. And I've asked them, that, they, and they have, to put verse, just verse 16 up. I wish I could read Chapters 1, 2, and some of 3 to you this morning, but I can't. It's, it's too long. But there's one verse here that I wanted to pick out particularly, and that's verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And when I was brought up, we were taught to memorize scriptures. And some of the scriptures that I remember now is the ones that I memorized when I was 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Verses that God brings back to me sometimes when uh, I need encouragement or need building up. That particular part, that first part of that verse is something that we as Christians must remember and remember and remember for I I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember it when you go to the gym. Remember it when you go to university. Remember it when you go to school. Remember when you're talking to your relatives, to your families, your workmates. When they ask you, what did you do this weekend? What did you do? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Shame is something that we often try and avoid. I don't think any of us likes to be shamed. You know, they start talking about name and shame them. None of us like to be shamed. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, don't avoid the shame that that can bring. If I said nothing more this morning, that's something to take home and work through for the next month. Don't avoid the shame that comes from knowing Jesus. 
You notice I'm anticipating the shame comes. I'm telling you the shame will come because it will. Jesus didn't avoid it. It says in Hebrews 12, he despised it. He ignored it, but he did not avoid the shame. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author says, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Cross is bad enough. Then the shame, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Following Jesus, looking unto Jesus, will always lead at some point in my life and in your life to shame. People will try and shame you. Shame is different than being ashamed. There was a shame that was put on Jesus at the cross, and it was put on for you and for me. But he was never ashamed to be there for you and for me. You understand? They put a shame on him. So, as we pick up our cross, and we follow the one that went to the cross for us, never let your shame lead you to being ashamed. People will try and shame you, but you should never be ashamed. Never be ashamed for the one who was shamed for you. And we live in a world where sometimes, it seems like oftentimes, right is now wrong. Wrong is now right. Then if you believe in right, then shame on you. We do. And if you believe and you promote wrong, then the world will often celebrate you. We live in a world where what was considered sin is now considered success and liberation. We live in a world where even the church can't decide what sin is. We live in a world where sin has become like the word death. I was talking to someone earlier on. We never speak about the word death. We say about people when they have died, we say they passed away. We say they passed over. They slipped away. They went to sleep. They're no longer with us. We have lost him or her. They've been promoted. They've moved on. They have gone to the light. We use all sorts of phrases to get away from saying they've died. Because we don't like that word death. And that word death is like the word sin. We don't like using the word sin. You very rarely hear in churches often the word sin mentioned. You certainly never mentioned it in, never mentioned in Parliament. This is sin. We're going to outlaw sin. <laughs> it's never mentioned. It's never mentioned in political programs or any programs, the word sin. We live in a country where our faith used to be, believe it or not, used to be Christianity. And now we trust our own God called materialism. We've raised up other gods too. Just like in Paul's time. The look after yourself God. Make your own arrangements God. Choose yourself a God. Get as much as you can, as fast as you can God. And when you say to anyone, the Bible says, you just watch for, for their reaction. Watch out for the shaming and the anger and the passion and the emotion that will come to you when you say, the Bible says. Well, Paul was the same. 
remember, Saul became Paul. Saul would have shamed Paul. <laughs> Paul Saul would have imprisoned Paul. Saul, being pre-Damascus Road experience, meets Jesus, becomes Paul. What was he doing on the Damascus Road? He was hounding and shaming Christians. He was after them. Saul would have imprisoned Paul. Saul might have even killed Paul. Unless people have an encounter with a living Christ, they'll either tolerate you, argue with you, ignore you, shame you, and maybe even in days to come, criminalize you as Christians. They might even eventually persecute you in some way, shape, or form. I was reading the other day there that uh, we're going to live shortly in a country where we will have Ofsted inspectors come in to inspect Sunday school. Just let that sit with you for a minute. That's the consideration that's going through Parliament. The Ofsted should come, and if you run a youth club or a Sunday school, you should have an inspection of how you're doing. So, it's going to be interesting. Paul says, as for me, I'm not ashamed because the gospel is powerful. The gospel gets people saved. It gets people changed. It gets people healed. It gets people restored. And the enemy of my soul and your soul is the exact same enemy that Paul had. The exact same enemy. exact same enemy that Jesus had when he came and tempted Jesus. He does not want people saved. He does not want people restored. He does not want people, <clears throat> excuse me, set free. He, doesn't, he wants hell full and heaven empty. So as we begin this message to the book that we call Romans, decide, in my life as a Christian, I will not be ashamed. Because let me tell you something. And you've experienced it already. You've already had opportunities to speak for Jesus and you decided not to because you didn't know what the reaction would be like. How do I know that? Because I have had situations like that too. And you decide, oh, I don't have time. I don't have to, I don't, I just can't take this opportunity. Lord, bring another opportunity. Lord, they won't understand. Lord, they're not that place yet. And we decide that actually will let it go by. So then Paul, in the verses that follow that we did not read, goes into a whole explanation of the guilt of humanity in graphic detail. It's like he's reading our newspapers. And please, can I encourage you to get your book of Romans, as I said last week, begin to read the book of Romans. Begin to read chapter 1. Begin to read what he says after those verses. He names and shames, if you like, the sins that these people were doing. How they become vain. How they become foolish. How they become envious. How they've become impure in their sexual relationships. Dishonorable, senseless, vile. All sorts of things he names. And how did that happen? It happened, he says, because they stopped serving God and started serving their own gods. In verse 23, that's what he says. Verse 23, 
professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And that's where we are as a nation. You know, President uh, Obama gave the State of the Union address the other evening there. I feel like that's what I'm doing this morning. And it's in a sense, it's not my place. But as a, as a minister of the gospel, it's my job to preach the word of God in season and out of season. Okay? So what, I, what we're going to discover in this book of Romans is God talks it and speaks it like it is. They decided to stop acknowledging God. They decided to stop considering God. They decided somewhere deep down, we don't even know if there's a God there. And if there's a God, then we, let's, let's, let's develop this God and begin to worship our own gods. And that's what we've done as a nation. We've forgotten who our God is. And now it's open to anyone. We can all have our gods. And what happens? If you play with fire, Paul says, you're going to get burnt. And it's your free will. He says, God says, you do as you want to do. That's what the gift he gave to Adam and Eve. He said, it's your choice. You choose. The greatest gift given to us, choice. So we all decide what we're going to do. Bible says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua says. Adam and Eve chose it. We have chosen it. Our nation has chosen it. Our families have chosen it. Individuals have chosen it. We've all chosen it. And when you have free choice, like Adam and Eve, you suffer the consequences. So there's choices that you've made in your life that even right now, you're suffering the consequences of them. <laughs> Some of you are face light up and you say, yeah, that's truth. Some of you are in denial. You're kidding yourself on that you're not suffering the consequences of your own choices. We all do. You don't want me to spell it out, do you? You do. We do. I do. We have suffered the consequences from choosing my own way. As individuals, as families, as couples, as cities, as a nation, we've chosen to turn our back on God as we know him and when to ascend to hell with the consequences. In verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to their own uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who knowing the judgment of God that they that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but pleasure in them when they do them. So we know what we are doing. We, in a sense, we bite the apple. And then we live with the consequences. And then we break into chapter 2. And he says something that to this group of people and to his own people was pure dynamite he says just before you think you're holier than holy itself just before you start judging other people you are no better talking to the jews you're no better than these gentiles 
no better than them. You're doing the exact same. And God is no respecter of persons. Chapter 2, verse 11. He doesn't respect me above you, you above me. A sinner is a sinner, whether he's Jew or a Gentile. What Paul is pointing out here is the Gentiles were seen by the Jews as being unclean beneath them. Be seen lower than the law. We are the chosen people, the Jews would tell themselves. They tell themselves they are something special. And what Paul goes on to in this chapter, chapter 2, he says, you're just the same. This, let me tell you, you don't understand what he was saying to them and, and the emotion that that would, that would stir up to a Jew. It, it would be something like, it would feel like killing him. Just in the same way as Saul would have killed Paul. Because how dare you? We are God's people. We are the children of Abraham. Chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. And then he's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ makes it possible for that same all to receive salvation. For that same all to become part of God's family. And Paul says, you Gentiles desperately need this gospel. And you Jews don't think you are any different. You need this gospel too. You need it as much as the Gentiles need it. This gospel, Paul says, it's free. It's free for everyone. And it's free for all. Chapter 3, verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? The Jews would have cried out, yes. Saul would have cried out, yes. But Paul, after he had met Jesus on the Damascus Road, knew differently. He cried out, no. Is he the God, verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. This was a radical gospel. This was dynamite to the people reading this letter and to their friends and to the Jews. For the Gentiles are thinking, ha-ha, we're as good as these Jews. They're always walking about like they own the place. They think God is there like their guru and it's only for them. Actually, this is our God too. We're equal with them. The Jews are thinking, hang on. He's going to let all these Gentiles into this thing. You understand? There's this whole thing going on, and this letter is dynamite because he's beginning to unpack what the gospel actually is. And what Paul's saying as we go through these first two or three chapters in Romans is the law is showing us that we are all sinners. You see, the Jews live with the Ten Commandments, and they prided themselves on the Ten Commandments. And they were given the Ten Commandments and everything else. And they worship, their Gentiles are worshiping false gods. But you see, all the Ten Commandments showed them was that they were sinners. The Ten Commandments was like a mirror, a reflection. And as you looked at the law, all that was coming back to you was guilty. Guilty. And that's what Paul's pointing out to them. You're just as bad. Your reflection is just as bad as a Gentile's reflection in the mirror of the law. 
So stop your judging. You both need saving. You're both failing. You're both falling short. We're all sinners. We all need saving. And that's why we need the special word, grace. Undeserved favor. That's why we need this gospel of grace. The the gospel of grace that he's not going to be ashamed of. The gospel of grace that covers 100% of my sin and of your sin. Your past sin, your present sin, your future sin was nailed to Christ on a cross. And because we can't ever keep 100% of God's laws 100% of the time, we need the gospel. And if we simply stay in our churches and simply judge people out there, whoever they are out there, as if we have it all going on here, we are just as bad as these Jews. Because when we point one finger, everybody tells you there's four fingers pointing back at you. What we have to do is offer people the grace that we accept from God. And so often there's people in our circumstances, our workplaces, our families even, who are drowning through their bad choices, through their sin, and we don't want to throw them a life belt. Understand? We need to start throwing life belts and not sort of poof them over the top of the head. People need the gospel. They don't need your criticism, your advice, your condemnation, your hate. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. <laughs> Above them is there no other. Jesus is the way. It's an old song. But Jesus is the way. Governments. Governments will always disappoint you. Coalitions, Labour, Conservatives, SMP, any, any of them, Welsh, Welsh, whatever they are, very careful. <laughs> whatever they are, I can't remember the I'm being serious, I can't remember the name of the Welsh Parliament. But whatever they are, they will always disappoint you. Always. Why? Because they're sinners. People in the church will always disappoint you. Why? Because they're sinners. Leadership will always disappoint you. Why? Because they're sinners. And so we've got to understand that they're made up of sinners, so they sin. Businesses. The stock exchange, big business, multi-corporations, they're made up of sinners, so they sin. Why are we surprised that they do wrong? You should be surprised that they do right sometimes. They're made up of sinners. Give them the grace, offer them the grace that Jesus has given us. And that's, when we do that, they begin to listen to what we've got to say. If you come against somebody, instead of loving them, boof, barrier, straight up. If you offer them love, then the barriers begin, begin, not always, begin to come down. They begin to trust you. And if all they see you is every Sunday morning, walking out of your home, getting into your car, coming back two hours later with a smile on your face, and they think, where do they go every Sunday? 
It's always at the same time. Or maybe they even see you walk out with a Bible. Oh, they've got a book. They've taken it. Maybe they've got it in the library. Where are they going? You see, and, and that's all they ever know about the love of Christ. We are doing them a disservice. We are ashamed. We are ashamed because we don't want to share the good news. The good news needs to become more good to us. There's that overflow. Then we begin to share that good news. But if they just see us walking out the door and walking back in the door, and then they think, oh, they seem nice people, but where do they go? What, what are they about? Well, they've got friends coming around, but they've only got a certain type of friend. Do you understand? They need to know who we are. Christ died for them as much as he died for you. And one day, I'll be accountable for my neighbors. Why didn't you share the good news with those I put you beside? I handpicked those people to set them next to you. And yet you never, ever shared who you were with them. Even if we just told them our testimony. Even if we just said, you know, I'm just like you. My life is this, my life is that. But you know, I know one thing. God loves me. And I also know he loves you too. And often, you see this in business, you see it in sport. When people break through to a particular area in life, what they do is they, it's like they've gone up the ladder and they've got to the top of the wall and they pull up the ladder and say, I've got up, but you're not getting up. <laughs> you understand? We were given a ladder to come towards Jesus, to climb up and, and meet him face to face so that that ladder could be used and you could be used as a ladder for other people to come and meet him too. You understand? And Paul saying to these Jews, God's not just for you. He's for the whole world. He's for everyone. Not just those who meet on a Saturday or a Sunday or a midweek. It's for everyone. Get out of your box. Tell them who Jesus is. Tell them how much he means to you. Just don't speak to Christians all the time. Tell your people who aren't Christians about Christ. And tell your Christians about the people who aren't Christians. And don't be ashamed. And even if they try and put shame on you, don't be ashamed. Because Jesus went through the exact same situation as we go through. We forget we're sinners. We forget what we're saved from. We get, we get so far away from the reality of life that we forget our humanity. And with, yes, Jesus moved in our life years ago. Yeah, he's healed me from the past. I've got over that. Yes, but what about everyone else? You've gone through stuff so you can help people who are going through that stuff. You understand? And Christians generally are made up of the judging, the silent, and the grateful. The judging are the people who just judge. Oh, they're terrible. What they're doing is awful. They should never be doing that. This country's going to the dogs. And often older people get more critical as they get older. I've seen it all before. I've seen it all before. They'll just continue doing that. And we're like the Pharisees. And we turn critiquing into an art form. Opinion about everything and everyone. That's the judging. The silent. The silent say nothing. The silent are saying nothing because they know themselves. So they won't tell you to go out preaching the gospel because they think, I never go preaching the gospel. They never tell you to go and share your faith because I never go and share my faith. They just keep their mouths shut. Let's everyone to their own. 
Let them learn their own lessons. Let them find their own way. They don't stick their nose in. They just remain silent. Then there's another group called the grateful. The grateful know who they are. <laughs> one, one preacher who came one time years ago said, Jack knows he's a sinner. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you've got it right there. <laughs> you know, you know who you are. You know where you come from, but you also know where you're going. The grateful have a gratitude attitude. They have a good Samaritan outlook. They know the undeserved favor that God has put on them. They know that but for the grace of God, I would be in the gutter. That sort of thing. And they're determined to do to others as Christ has done to them. To get that good news to them. They're the people who speak up. The grateful. The ones where the Holy Spirit is overflowing in their lives. See, some of us as Christians, we want the Holy Spirit, but we want the Holy Spirit just to stop about there. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wants to overflow out of my life and out of your life so that other people benefit from the Holy Spirit being in our life. If we are just the same as everyone else, we have nothing to offer. Nothing. They might be better going to some other advice agency rather than the church. But if we have the Holy Spirit overflowing, as Paul was overflowing with the Holy Spirit in his life, then we have something to offer. And the grateful speak up. Paul says, I've learned what Saul refused to acknowledge, that I am a sinner. Saul was a sinner. Paul was a sinner the difference was Paul was a forgiven sinner. Paul says Saul, Saul would never acknowledge that. He says, I'm a sinner. Christ died for me. I can have forgiveness through faith in him. I'm a bond servant. I've become a slave to Christ rather than a slave to the other gods that were in my life previously. You see, Saul was a slave to the commandments. He was a slave to religion. And then he realized, that's not what God wants. He wants me to be a slave of Christ. He decided to choose life and not play with death. So, this morning, I've given you a little piece of the first one, two, part of chapter three of the book of Romans. I wish I could just have read it to you. It will blow your mind. You'll think this is the Daily Express. This is the Times. This is the Daily Mirror. You'll see in your life some of these things that he mentions there. And what Paul's saying is, don't think you are any better than them. Yes, there's standards we should have. Yes, there's things that we should live up to. Yes, there's sins in our life that we fight against. We don't ignore them. It's the grace of obedience. But don't you dare go out there and start judging someone else for stealing a million pounds when you just stole a pen that was sitting on the chair in here. You understand? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare uh, criticize somebody who runs off with someone else's wife when you've been lusting after his wife for, for five years. You understand? This is how practical Paul is. Some of you are looking like, whoa. You understand? But this is what Paul's at. He says this. Let's get down to nitty gritty. You know when you get a letter from somebody and you think, oh, wow. This is, this is really getting into the, into the stuff. Well, this is what this letter's around about. He starts to show us that in our humanity, 
we are all the same. We all need a savior. All of us. No matter if you think, whoever you think is the most holy person, the, the person who you think is the most sinful person, every single person needs a savior. And every single person needs to become a bond servant of that savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. We're going to start looking at some good news in the book of Romans. But Father, as we looked at this uh, one or two chapters this morning, we see, how you, we see us how you see us. We see this world as Paul saw his world. We see that nothing's actually changed. Nothing. There's no, nothing new under the sun. But I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. And you've given us a license of obedience. You've given us grace to be obedient. And that obedience means not just staying, but going. That, mean, that grace means not just enjoying, but sharing. That grace means, Lord, you're thinking of others while we're thinking of ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that we'll do what Paul did. That, Father, after his Damascus Road experience, he got up and he was a new man, sold out, a bond servant, going for it 100%. And we pray, Lord Jesus, even as we walk away this morning, that we'll realize, then we'll recognize, and we'll discover that you want us to be the exact same. So be with us, Lord, as we continue our worship this morning, as we offer up a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice means that sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we just just not in the mood. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing. But, Lord, a sacrifice, it costs us. So, Lord, may we offer up a costly sacrifice to you this morning as we continue our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.